Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, be in our midst and teach us in all truth so that our gratitude may be on a firm foundation, on the foundation on Christ and on no lesser foundation. Speak to us your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's an absolute blessing uh, to, to be here. I'm Pete Williamson, as JP said before, and I work with grad students at, at Harvard. Please pray for Harvard. God is doing stuff there. And it's a, it's a total encouragement for be, me to be here. Uh, the choir gets to hear this talk a second time, so I hope it's more like wine and less like milk as it ages. But we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is this week on Thursday um, about how, why and how Gratitude is central to human flourishing. I actually had to learn about Thanksgiving, the holiday, when I came to the States from New Zealand eight years ago. Um, people would kind of say to me, like, oh, don't you have Thanksgiving in New Zealand? Which, which I think is, uh, I blame Canada for that, right? It's easy to blame Canada. They just say sorry. So, um, because Canada has their own Thanksgiving. So you say, oh, well, Canada's got one. Surely everyone has one. But no, this was a pretty new phenomenon uh, for me. In fact, I remember soon after getting here watching The Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, a movie with some friends, which is a movie where there's a different dimension for every holiday. And uh, at one part, there's like different doors to those dimensions. And there's a picture on the door. So like the Christmas dimension gets a Christmas tree. The Easter dimension gets a bunny. And then there was this door with a turkey on it. And so I said, what holiday has a turkey? And uh, people looked at me with confusion. They also looked at me with confusion in class when the professor said that uh, we wouldn't be having classes on Thanksgiving. And I said, um, when's Thanksgiving? And they realized that I just, it wasn't that I just didn't know the exact date. I was like, is it October? Is it December? I don't know. They thought that was strange, but I'm okay being strange. I've also been thinking about thankfulness for a number of other reasons. I've noticed in my own times of worship that as a kind of fidgety person, I'm always sort of saying and doing things, but I've noticed that I'm always saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And there's plenty of other good things to say, like hallelujah and praise you, Lord, and come, Lord Jesus. But it's pretty much always this refrain of my heart in those intimate moments with God. Thank you. And that's got me thinking, why, why is that such a natural posture when you're coming to worship uh, before God? I'm also thinking about and meditating on thankfulness because honestly, I've got a lot, of, a lot to be thankful for in my life. I, I have a beautiful wife. We just welcomed our son, Jude, who's one month old, and he's doing really well and sleeping, sleeping well, and he's just a sweet little thing. And our oldest son, Malachi, is just at an age where he's just this constant stream of just incredibly sweet moments and dispersed with tantrums, but uh, incredibly sweet moments. And I guess it's normal for dads to be besotted with their kids, and so I hope you'll indulge me a bit. But he loves trains, right? So anything to do with trains just like makes the day better. So we actually go on rides on the, on the T, the subway in Boston, to, to like nowhere and back, just, just so he gets to go on a train. And so we're in this like grimy tunnel alongside these stone-faced commuters who are feeling miserable and there's this little boy as the lights come around the corner saying train train like looking around train do you guys see it there's a train and uh and he will be talking about it for for hours afterwards as well 
He also loves music. It was his birthday is actually on Halloween day, and so on his birthday he was dressed in a baby shark costume. Uh, he had his little guitar, which was his gift, and uh, he was sitting on the front porch uh, while people came and got candy, just singing the rendition of his new favorite song, which is "Hey Jude." Since the birth of his brother, just sitting there strumming, going "Hey Jude, Hey Jude," and this is on Facebook if you want to see it. But the. Uh, And it's just incredibly sweet. Another one of his musical escapades is that he'll turn over a bucket, pull up a stool to it, get a couple of cricket wickets, which are sticks in a New Zealand household, and he... uh, and he'll just start drumming and he'll say, Daddy, sit. And I have to get the broom and I have to set the straw broom and I have to strum the straw broom as, as the guitar. And so I'm just sitting there strumming the straw broom. broom. He's drumming away. He loves to do big finishes where he goes, bah! and crosses this thing. And uh, then through that, I'm just sitting there strumming my broom, thinking to myself, I'm so thankful. What, what have I done to deserve this? This is so wonderful. And I just know that I'm in those moments that I'm going to be remembering for the rest of my life as, as those special moments. And yet, at the same time, there's no shortage of moments in my life where I'm anything but thankful where I forget how much I've been given, how blessed I am, and I'm suddenly envious of, of what other people have. I think I'm hard done by. I think maybe they've gotten more than they've des- they deserve and I've gotten less than I deserve. The part of me that has an instinctual response of jealousy when somebody else succeeds, as if they've taken something from me. The, the impulse I have to pass over all the good things and focus on what I don't have and maybe think I deserve or desire can be in career, relationships, personal status or recognition, or just the frustrating drudgery of day-to-day life, zeroing in on what went wrong, how justified I am to complain about it, rather than remind myself of the abounding generosity that has been shown to me, taking for granted what I've been given. So I'm kind of in a conflict, right, between this, this message of like being thankful for what God has done for me or being unsatisfied and looking for more and being ungrateful. So I've been thinking about gratitude. And when I'm thinking about something, I like to go to Scripture. So what does Scripture say about thanksgiving? It's kind of interesting because giving thanks and thankfulness is all throughout Scripture. It's like a seasoning sprinkled liberally throughout Scripture. But at the same time, there's not like one passage which meditates on thankfulness for an extended period. But one area where it is somewhat consistent is in uh, Paul's shorter letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, where Paul makes his, his argument, his defense of the gospel, and then he switches into, here now shall you live. And in these, a, a consistent feature is thankfulness, giving thanks as a response to what God has done for us. And we're looking at Colossians because it's the place where it's highlighted the most. And so I think you've got the passage on the back of your bulletin if you want to look at it. Um, But we're going to just read again the last three verses, and I think they can come up here, that final slide, um, and just see how, how, after talking about what not to do and how not to live, how thankfulness is highlighted. So it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are caught in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord, the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians is written into a circumstance where the sufficiency of Christ had come into question. People had become tempted by the idea that there could be more beyond Christ, that he wasn't enough. And rather than resting in gratitude for what Jesus had done, they were looking and entertaining new ideas that had cropped up from outsiders. Philosophies, interesting philosophies, but only human philosophies. Festivals and new moons and different, um, different seasons. Worshipping angels, strange knowledge, weird visions, extremely harsh rules of life to be obedient to. Looking for more beyond Christ. Looking for new mysteries. Looking for invisible things, secret mysteries of the world. And so Paul, throughout this letter, is stressing who Christ is and what he has done. He has delivered us from a domain of darkness to a kingdom of light. He has forgiven our sins. He is the image of the invisible God. So if you're looking for that invisible stuff, you need to look here. He is the firstborn of all creation. Everything was created through him. The fullness of God dwells in him. There's nothing higher. You were once alienated, hostile, evil, but he has reconciled you in his body to make you holy. The mystery hidden for ages isn't in some strange teaching about angels, but is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Christ is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do not look elsewhere. We were dead in our sins, remember, but we have been made alive by him, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, nailing it to the cross. And having said all this, about the sufficiency of Christ and what he has done. At the beginning of chapter 3, Paul makes this argument. If this is all true, and you have been raised with Christ, then you need to lift your eyes and your mind to Christ, because that's where you belong. That's your true reality. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, not on the things that are on earth. All the things the Colossians had begun to chase after were things that were lower than Christ. Human philosophies, festivals, rules about what you can eat and touch, even angels who may be in heaven, they're not high enough to compare with Christ. And elsewhere in Scripture, it says this thing. It says, heaven and earth will pass away. But will not, what will not pass away? The word of the Lord. Right? And so even angels who are up in heaven are changeable and fallible and, and can pass away. But what is the secure foundation? It is Christ. He is the word of God which will not pass away. So look up to where Christ is. Because if you look down, you'll only find what the world has to offer. And Paul describes this as anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. And we could perhaps add ingratitude to that list. These are things that make us less human. They dehumanize us. But if we look up to where Christ is and set our minds on where Christ is and we see our reality rightly, then what do we find? Well, what Paul says is that we find compassionate hearts 
kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love, peace, rich teaching, and yes, thankfulness. Marks of true flourishing humanity. Be thankful with thankfulness in your hearts to God, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. Through Christ. It is through looking up to where He is as the image of the invisible God, as the representation in our economy of the unchanging God. It's when we look to Him that we're released to give thanks to God, set free from ingratitude, bitterness, and an unsettled heart. Thankfulness is the appropriate response to reality when we see rightly, when we see where we were, where Christ has brought us, and when we trust in the sufficiency of Jesus. And Paul's encouragement to the Colossians is as relevant to us as it was to them. We may not be looking for angels to worship or to celebrate strange esoteric festivals or or harsh rules of life, but we are guilty of looking down to things below Christ, to supplement Christ, to feel like we have everything we need. We look to education, career success, personal significance, relationships. We look to new philosophies and practices to make ourselves whole. There's no shortage of books and blogs and podcasts insisting that what you really need is this diet, that exercise regime, this life hack, this approach to life, this politician, all sorts of things. None of these are necessarily a problem unless they're stemming from a perceived insufficiency of Christ. And they can, in fact, be manifestations of ingratitude towards God, saying to God, what you give me is not enough. I am not satisfied. I think I deserve more. But the problem is this. If we do not find enough in Christ, who's at the highest place and who has done the most for us, how much less will we find enough in anything less than Christ? We get ourselves into a trap because if we cannot look to Christ, who is the unchanging God, the firm foundation, how can we expect to look to the things below Christ, the things of the world, and find permanent gratitude in them? We need to be able to look to Christ to find gratitude because nothing lower than that has the long-lasting sufficiency that Christ had. We have a firm and stable hope as Christians because we have this firm foundation in the unchanging one in Christ and what he has done for us. And so our thankfulness and our gratitude doesn't have to be a sort of a a platitude to just sort of say nice things at nice times of of the year, but we can stand securely on the God of the universe who has done this for us and who will not change and who will not be unfaithful and who will not lay us let us down. Our gratitude has a firm foundation when it's founded on Christ. So we need to stop looking down, but to set our minds up to where Christ is and to have gratitude. But friends, that's not always easy. It might be easy enough to do when you're sitting on your back porch playing family band with your two-year-old. But it's more difficult when you just got fired, when when you're lonely, when your kids have been making poor choices, when people have abused you, when relationships have broken down between friends and family and spouses, when you just got that diagnosis and sickness and illness and disease are controlling the story of your life. And in the midst of these genuine struggles, 
we have two things to hold together. One is an encouragement to thankfulness regardless of the circumstance. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That giving thanks is not a circumstantial thing. But in the other place, we also have the right legitimacy of lament and complaint brought before God. We see this all through the Psalms, and it's important not to ignore the way in which Psalms expresses the full range of human emotion brought before God. Sadness, anger, and yes, joy. And there might be a bit of complexity of holding these two truths together, but there's no contradiction. Lament and complaint are not the opposites of gratitude. In the Psalms, one of the most defining features, even in the most depressing Psalms, is that they're brought before God. They're laid at the foot of the cross, in a sense. They are bare before their God. And this is precisely what Paul is encouraging. Whatever lack you feel, do not go to the things of the world or even the things of heaven that are not God. Go to Christ. Look to him. Go to God. And this is, in fact, the grateful response of a hurting person to bring the lament to the one who can make the difference. To bring the complaint to the source who has given you so much, to let your honest, porous, vulnerable soul be laid bare, open and sore to the life giver. To hold nothing back, to repress nothing, to find full freedom, to bring even your most nasty thoughts to the Redeemer who sees every piece of evil and brokenness in this world as another opportunity for His generosity, His grace, His goodness, His redemption to shine forth. So when you hear me or Paul or anyone encouraging you to be grateful, do not in any way hear that your genuine pains need to be shoved under the rug or that you have to shroud or repress the heavy burdens you bear and just put on a happy face because family's coming over for a meal. But instead, it's an encouragement to look up to where Christ is. And yes, be thankful and have gratitude that you have a safe depository for your wounds. That you have an invitation to let it all out. Bringing your hurts to God is actually your best defense against those things Paul warns about. Wrath, malice, and slander. We have someone who listens, who has authority over everything in our life. True and dangerous ingratitude is when we take our struggles away from God. Hiding from God. And try to... Process these issues and overcome them by lesser things that cannot satisfy. Not trusting in God's sufficiency. There is a real risk of losing sight of Christ's sufficiency and losing our gratitude. When we start thinking, I deserve this, I deserve that, I deserve more. And those things are not things that are rooted in the promises of God in our lives. But instead are things we think we deserve on our own account, not on God's account. Then we are destroying ourselves. We will never be satisfied. We will never find what we're looking for. We will never have true gratitude. When we start looking at others horizontally and just fueling our envy, we implicitly decide that we're more worthy than others or that others are less worthy than us and we put our humanness at risk. So my encouragement this morning is to look up to where Christ is and have gratitude as the appropriate response to reality, the real God this thing that is central to human flourishing. But how can we do that? 
How can we be people where it's more instinctual to look up to where Christ is and have gratitude? And this requires a change of our heart, a change of our character. And I think the temptation in this is to think that this is just a matter of understanding. If you just get this idea with your head, then you've got it. Because we've been trained to think that understanding with your mind is the ultimate thing we need. That's why we put so much money into understanding things with our mind. And we get tricked by that because if you just want to understand something in your mind, that doesn't necessarily have to take that long. You know, you can be taught an idea and affirm it and say, yep, okay, cool, pretty quickly. It's kind of like if I tell you that, like, eating candy is bad for you. That's, that's pretty easy to say, yeah, that's true. But it's much harder just to stop eating candy. But we can still be tempted, right? Like, or maybe if you really knew how bad it was for you, or it was worse than you thought, then the motivation would follow. But human nature doesn't work like that. Don't get me wrong. It's of central importance to have right understanding. This is rooted in the knowledge of what Christ has done and his sufficiency, But focusing on that alone is kind of like saying to someone who's going to run a marathon, like, oh, what you need to know is where the start line is and where the finish line is. Yeah, okay, sure, you need to know that. But if you haven't been running, you're going to be grotesquely ill-equipped to run that marathon, right? You need to have been running, right? Because these muscles in our stamina are not matters of understanding, they're matters of growth through practiced and sustained usage. Right, And we understand that with muscles because it's pretty obvious to us that you can't just like think your muscles into growth, right? I've tried. (laughs) But when it comes to our character and our heart, we can be more tempted because it's less tangible, right? We can be tempted to thinking that, well, if I'm just affirming the right statements, then that's, that's all I need to find this. But of these things of our heart and our formation... We need to understand that they're things of growth. Growth is annoying because it takes longer. It takes years. It takes decades. There is no narrative of growth where you just suddenly are, have got it mastered. So my encouragement is to see gratitude as something you need to practice. We need to practice. That you need to build the habits and, and the checking points in your life that you're doing this thing so that your heart becomes more grateful and expect to be bad at it initially. It's hard to just suddenly start being more thankful. And it would be the wrong approach to just leave this place today and just say, I'm going to be more grateful. It's not just a a switch you flick in your mind. The encouragement here is really to develop new habits of gratitude. They might be habits of regular reflection, whether with a journal or something like that, reflecting on what you're grateful for, where it's difficult for you to be grateful, going beyond the obvious things and thinking about the things you don't normally think about in gratitude, having more practices of communal thankfulness, rather than just once a year going around the table and saying what you're thankful for. Maybe you do that every week on thankful Thursdays or or daily to plan out your thankfulness, to actually take a time to look at your week and say, well, I'm going to see this person on Tuesday and I, I don't, it's not normal for me to express gratitude to them, but I want to. So you put it in your Google calendar, like say thanks to this person, right? Like plan it out. Get into the practice of doing it. Have a regular stopping time, weekly or monthly, to send people notes of thanks, whether they're text or email or handwritten, Facebook, Snapchat, 
LinkedIn, whatever works for you to communicate to people your thanks. Just something you can try for a start. I, I, I think sometimes when we're trying to uh, have new habits, we're kind of stuck in this New Year's resolution mindset where you just kind of make a big decision and then like hope it, hope it works out. I think what we really need to be people saying like, okay, this week or this month, I'm going to try this and then plan to come back to that, that idea and say, okay, how did that work this last week or month? How can I do this again the next week or month? That's how habits are formed by constantly redeciding like, hey, this is what I want to be doing. So my encouragement is that you start building the muscles more and more of gratitude and build in those new habits of giving thanks because it is the right response to our reality as redeemed people. We need to be more in tune with looking up to where Christ is and having gratitude. Not falling into the temptation of no longer seeing Christ as sufficient and succumbing to things lower than Christ to satisfy us because that way leads to bitterness, malice, and gratitude. But when we see rightly, thankfulness is the natural posture. It's in tune with all the things which give life and make us fully human. So I invite you to consider committing to practicing gratitude, building the muscles of thankfulness so that we might too be in tune with the life of abundance. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us, that you are sufficient, that in a world that is changing so much and so little is dependable, Lord God, that you are the dependable one. What you have done is secure. It is a firm foundation. We thank you for that. Help us to be secure in that knowledge of your sufficiency and let that flow out of our lives in the form of gratitude and thankfulness. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, build in us the habits of gratitude and thankfulness though, so that our hearts may be formed into gratefulness. So guide us by your Holy Spirit as we pursue gratitude. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.